Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Ah, yes. The infamous Kappa. Overuse, underuse, getting to the root cause, all of these things and more are discussed with Mike Drews of Vascular Sciences and me, John Spear, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, on this next episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is John Spear, the host and founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight.Guru. Today, I have Mike Drews from Vascular Sciences. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, John. Thank you for the opportunity to to have this discussion with you. Always a pleasure to to speak with you and your audience today. Well, Mike, we're jumping into a topic that, for whatever reason, seems to be a continued area of concern or struggle or whatever the right verb is, and that topic is CAPA. So let's take a few moments, I guess, to kind of describe what CAPA is. There might be some people out there who've heard it and you know have used it, and maybe it's worked and maybe it hasn't. So I guess, Mike, I'd be interested to kind of hear your perspective, your, your overview of what is CAPA, and, and I'll certainly share my insights as well. So I think that's a great opportunity to start the conversation, John. Let's start out with the most basic, and that is that CAPA obviously is an acronym, C-A-P-A, for Corrective Action, Preventative Action. And what I'll do is I'll offer sort of the the quick overview of what it is and why we have it, and you can get into a little bit more of the mechanics for the audience if you'd like. So the idea of a CAPA is that when we experience a problem, it could be a design problem. It could be a manufacturing problem. It could be, you know, a problem, you know, on a, a variety of different types uh, regarding one of our medical devices. One of the things that we as an engineers want to do is try to figure out the root cause. Why did the problem happen in order to try to prevent it from happening in the future? And that brings us to the essentially the basis of CAPA, corrective action. Once we identify that root cause, try to figure out a way to to fix it. But then more longer term, we want to prevent similar problems from happening in the future. And that brings us to the second half of CAPA, which is preventative action. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of at a high level why we have it. And John, this is obviously an area where you do a lot of work as well as I. So why don't you tell the audience a little more about the the mechanics um, in terms of what goes into a, a, a CAPA investigation or a CAPA system, that type of thing. Oh, sure. Sure. It's, uh, yeah, and CAPA is one of those things that I guess from a high level can sometimes be nebulous <laughs> uh, and overwhelming to people. And, and I think there are a lot of reasons for that, that sort of thing that happens to people. And so let me just jump in a little bit and, and talk you know, from kind of my view of of what CAPA is really all about, you know, you know, as Mike said, that it's CAPA is an acronym, so corrective action, preventative action, but it's really 
as a mechanism by which companies identify major issues to address in order to either correct or prevent problems. You know, if you think about it, generally a CAPA should address and mitigate systemic issues so that they are resolved. And, and I think you know, we're going to get into a bit here in a few moments and talk about how people maybe overuse or underuse CAPA. But think about that, though. CAPA should address and mitigate a systemic issue. So, of course, the, the obvious maybe is, is there might be an issue with the product and I may have a systemic issue with the product. And so CAPAs certainly can be product-related, but they can also be process-related. So think about a company's manufacturing processes or their quality system procedures. Those might also be worthy of a CAPA if there are some systemic issues. So hopefully that gives a little bit more insight to, to this concept of CAPA. And Mike, as they say, the devil's in the details sometimes. So it's probably good for us to get into a little, a little bit of those details on the conversation this morning. Well, I agree, John. So to me, like most regulation, it's not the, the letter of the regulation or the letter of the law that's so important here. What's much more important is the, is the message. It's the thought process. So what would you suggest? What would be your best advice? for companies who are either setting up a new device company and they need to implement a CAPA system mm-hmm. or they're working an existing medical device company, they probably have a CAPA system as, as part of their quality system, their design controls, but how do they know if, it's, if it meets FDA's sniff test and more importantly, how do they know if it, if it works? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a deep question. So. First, let me tackle the, the first part of that. But if I'm a new company and I'm setting up, you know, I'm developing a device and I'm setting up my quality management system. There's a, it's interesting to me. I, I talk to company, a lot of companies in that situation every week. And I mean, they're years and years away from a 510k submission and they're asking me about Kappa. And, you know, I uh, applaud their enthusiasm, but in some respect. You mean they're anticipating having problems in the future, John? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know what the emphasis is. And I try to educate them. Like, hey, CAPA is, is something that generally uh, or usually is, is a post-market type of uh, process. You don't usually worry about that during the design and development process. You already have a process for that, or should anyway. And uh, it's called design control. It's called risk management. So that's always raises an eyebrow. But I think everyone that's starting a company and well that I talked to they're they're trying to address this quality management system box they want to check the box and say yep we got a capper procedure um, but let's talk more about the company that already has a product to market and you know hopefully they have some capper process in place and let's talk about that scenario because I mean that's this is where the the rubber meets the road and there's all kinds of cliches and metaphors and <laughs> that we can rattle off here. But uh, this is when a company, this is when it gets real. I mean, you're making medical devices, you're selling medical devices. There are patients receiving your medical devices in some way, shape or form. If there are issues, you need to make sure your quality management system is robust. And 
you know, it's not just about waiting until something happens. You know, it's about making sure that you have enough uh, early indicators or leading indicators regarding your product, your processes, and overall performance and health of your company. And this is where Kappa really can become an asset because I think it's one of those dirty words that people hear and they're like, oh, Kappa, I got to do a Kappa. And it's got a lot of negative baggage and a lot of negative connotations. And I think the reasons for that are because we as an industry or we as companies have, have done a really poor job of defining a robust and systematic approach to addressing CAPAs. Mike, I know you talk to companies all the time that, that are probably dealing with this in some way, shape, or form. What have you seen? I agree, John. One of the things that I see almost across the board, and this is one of many areas where I work to try to help companies, is that they don't have a specific system or set of criteria in place as to when to instigate or alternatively not instigate a CAPA. And so one of the things that I often suggest to them is that we put together a list of criteria. I did this just with a, a company a few weeks ago. We put together a list of criteria to help determine you have an issue come up. Some issues, you know, if it originates, for example, from a customer complaint or an observation on a manufacturing floor, maybe a, a particular group of medical devices does not pass the manufacturing inspection. We need to have some set of criteria in place in order to determine whether or not that that situation warrants um, starting a CAPA investigation. And I also say to these companies that this set of criteria is not a static document. Just like, as, right. as you certainly know, John, in the risk world and other places, we create something, but we have to go back on some periodic basis and the regulation does not specify how often. And in my opinion, the regulation should not specify how often right. that should be up to us. But once a week, once a month, once a quarter, it depends on, you know, how new the product is and so on. We go back and we revisit that. And I also suggest, and this is not a quality system requirement, but I, I also suggest, and maybe it should be a quality requirement, that we put that in our quality system, that every X period of time, we will go back and revisit our criteria and modify or add to it as necessary. And of course, we also have to include in there, if obviously something comes up between our review cycles, so to speak, that we will revisit the the CAPA criteria at that, you know, under those circumstances as well. So, you know, for, for better or for worse, the regulation is not that specific to this level of, right. of granularity or detail to, 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 to tell companies to do this. I would like to think that we don't need regulation to that level of detail, that we are professionals, that we all have graduated from engineering school, and quite frankly, that we know what the heck we're doing. But unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, and I think you've seen this yourself, John, and in your uh, experience in playing this game, not all companies do some of the, the most basic things that they probably know that they should do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, you've used the word in past conversations that you and I have had, you've used the words prudent engineering and Kappa is certainly one of those processes that fits under that umbrella of prudent engineering. And I guess from, for those who may be struggling with or 
trying to just make sure they have a, a firm enough grasp on what CAPA, what this process entails. Let me just take a moment or two and from a high level, give some perspective on, you know, an overview of, of, of a CAPA process. As, as Mike and I have talked about, there can be a number of different origins, if you will, or sources that can contribute to a CAPA investigation. It might be a complaint uh, about a particular product. It might be an audit observation, uh, either internal or external on a particular process. Could be some sort of non-conformance that you found during the manufacturing. There's a number of sources. But a CAPA first starts with some sort of identification of an issue or some sort of problem statement. You know, this is really about that source. This problem statement should describe the observed issue or problem. Usually you have a few sentences, a few words to go along with that. And then once you've described that problem statement, as I said, there's a systematic method or process to get to a resolution. The first thing that, that's important once you've identified the source is to determine if there are any immediate actions that are required. And think of immediate actions or any actions required to immediately contain or prevent the issue from growing. A good scenario would be if you had a complaint on a particular feature or something happened or what have you. If it was a big deal and say, you know, hopefully not, but say somebody got hurt, you'd want to take immediate action to make sure that that isn't going to happen to another patient. So that's what immediate action is all about. And this might require that you hold product in some sort of quarantine, that you put a process on hold. You may have to do a recall at this point. But you know, those are pretty extreme cases, but do contain the issue from growing out of hand. And then really, once you do this now, it's about investigation. You've got to really get to the root of it. You've got to get kind of down and dirty, so to speak. You've got to do a thorough, proper investigation. And that investigation should identify everything that's involved or impacted, but we're driving towards this thing called a root cause. And Mike, we're going to talk about root cause here in a moment, I think. Again, I, I suspect anyway. But root cause is the key to a good CAPA investigation. You got to keep drilling down until you get to the true root cause. And, you know, it's very easy for people. A common mistake that I see is, is they you get to the root cause and they're oftentimes rewording or restating the problem. And it's like, if that's what you're doing, then that's not really a root cause. You should take some sort of analysis or some sort of approach to this. There are a lot of tools, fishbones, uh, Ishikawa diagram, fishbone diagram, fault tree. There's another tool I like called the five whys. Think about being a three-year-old who's asking his mom or dad for something and the dad answers and the three-year-old says, why? And then the dad answers and then three-year-old says, why? Well, that's kind of like what the five whys are. You keep asking why until you get to the root. And that's a key, key piece of CAPA. And then once you've gotten to the root cause, guess what? Now you can truly take action to correct or prevent this issue from happening. And in a nutshell, that is uh, really what a CAPA process is all about. Well, John, I think you did a terrific job of going over the CAPA process in a general sense. Coming from a medical background myself, I'm a big fan of the case study approach. So let me share with you, in order to illustrate much of what you just described, a specific case study and example that I was involved with recently. And perhaps you can, you know, add some of your 
comments on top of it. But in a nutshell, I was in one of the medical device companies that I work with, got a customer complaint. They manufacture a device that goes inside of a patient. It's a surgical device. And the customer complaint was a hair was found in the device. So obviously, this is a problem. It could have, you know, caused potentially harm to the patient if it was not noticed. And by the way, part of this, which is outside of the context of our discussion today, was the risk mitigation strategy that had to be modified because of this. But let's focus on the kappa piece of it. So the first part of this process basically was the the um, uh, corrective action part. And, and, and in order to address that, we had to identify, to use that engineering phrase again, the root cause. Right. So where did this hair come from? Well, this was found not as a result of the manufacturing inspection, but it was found just you know in the surgical procedure just prior to putting the implant in. So there were several pros- possibilities. One possibility is that the hair could have been, come from one of the people in the company who were manufacturing the product. Another possibility is that the hair could have come from one of the surgical staff. And of course, a third possibility is the hair could have come from somebody who handled the product in between. So we had to do some investigation. Believe it or not, there was even discussion about doing some DNA analysis to try to identify specifically where that hair came from. (laughs) We didn't actually do quite that. But the point is, you have to figure out where the problem occurred in order to address it. And then once you identify where the problem occurred, then you can try to take a corrective action and finally a preventative action. Mm -hmm. So for example, if the hair came from one of the people in our manufacturing environment, one of the first questions is, are they required to wear protective, you know, garments, hairnets, and so on? In most cases, yes, but to me, that's not good enough. In other words, if somebody is wearing a hairnet and yet hair still ends up in the product, that means that something is, is, is not working and we need to assess the efficacy of the hairnet. In other words, are they putting them on? properly? Are they somehow maybe taking them off because it gets too hot? Or So the point that I'm trying to make without getting into too much detail here is corrective action and preventative action to me are intimately related. Uh, you really can't separate the two. You need to get to, to, the, to the root cause. You need to find out what was the original problem. And that's not always an easy thing to do. But most importantly, And you and I have talked about this before, John, when it comes to design controls and other things. Um, It's the thinking process that's involved here. The late, great Carl Sagan said that science is a way of thinking much more than it is a body of rules, uh, sorry, a body of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Well, my spin on Dr. Sagan's quote is regulatory affairs, including quality and cap and so on, is a way of thinking much more than it is a body of rules and regulations. So that's a specific example that I was involved with recently, John. Again, I know you work a lot in this area as well. Is there anything that you would add or perhaps even you know, disagree with in terms of what I suggested with that hair example? Well, I, I like the example a great deal because you know, I'm, I'm a guy that I'm a visual learner and I like pictures instead of words sometimes. And as you were 
sharing your case study, I just imagine picture the product with the hair and all the steps that happened. Uh, the the thing that that I want to uh, play a little bit or go a little bit deeper on is you talked about you can't really separate uh, corrective action and preventive action, and I guess specifically I want to talk about that because I, I see companies they're not they're not doing the PA part of uh, the kappa, and You're right one could argue that they're they're probably not doing the CA part very well either at times. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of the FDA observations on the topic of CAPA here in a few moments. But, but preventative action is key. I mean, we are, we are in a community, an industry right now that for whatever reason, it seems as though we are... We talk about it. I mean, I, I can remember back 10 years ago talk, when I first started diving a little bit deeper into CAPA. People always talk about preventative action and boy, we should be more proactive. But the reality is we're reactive. We're corrective. We wait till something happens before we do something about it. And to me, that's if you want a good capital process, if you're going to wait for things to happen and then deal with it, excuse the expression, but man, that's when the shit storm happens. <laughs> that's when things get, get hairy because you're trying to hurry up and fix something. And that's why there's a rush at times through a capital process because you're reacting. And, you know, that's, it's never good to be in a reactionary mode. Well, John, I wish, I sincerely wish I could disagree with what you just said, <laughs> but regrettably I cannot. It's been my vast experience, and I've been playing this game, as you know, about 25 years now, that that is very true, especially today, much more so, I think, even than it was a couple of decades ago. And this is why I say, you know, kudos to the companies like you highlighted at the top of our conversation who are thinking about a Kappa or, you know, putting together a Kappa system even before they have a product on the market, because that's exactly what we should be doing. We should recognize as engineers that although we certainly want to try to design the best product that we can, of course, no matter how good we are as engineers, there are going to be some problems, some problems perhaps within our control, some problems that are not within our control, but some problems, and we need a process, ideally a process set up in advance that we can, and then modify later as necessary, but a product, a process set up in advance that we can follow when these problems occur. And uh, with regard to the CA versus PA, you know, I have said publicly many times that I think that the simple reality is our industry has gotten, I would say, pretty good at the CA part of the equation, but not particularly good at the PA for one simple reason, and that is these problems tend to happen over and over and yeah. over again. Yeah. And, you know, history, you know, those who forget their history are doomed to repeat it. It's not good enough, in my opinion, for a, for a company just to be following the rules just to have a kappa system in place as, as part of their quality system what really matters is does it work in the real world and by the way much to the chagrin of some of my fda friends i do not assume i never assume in fact that just because something meets the fda requirements necessarily implies that it works right. i don't think those two things are are uh, are, are mutually inclusive Right. And another question, I, I had an interesting discussion with a friend over dinner who's the VP of regulatory and quality for a very large medical device company. 
he and I got into an interesting discussion about kappas, and we were talking about what is the ideal number of kappas <laughs> that a company should have. In other words, uh, if you have zero kappas, is that good? Well, maybe your products are perfect, or maybe your kappa system, your complaint system, is is not working. On the other hand, if you have a uh, you know tons and tons of kappas, yeah. maybe you have a product that in fact is not as good as it should be, or maybe your criteria for uh, instituting a kappa is a little too loose, because in that case you run the risk of you know the boy who cried wolf. If you have so many kappas that the ones that are not as significant are going to sort of, you know, take away the emphasis from the ones that are the most significant. So I'm curious, John, how how would you answer the question, you know, what's the ideal number of kappas or is the, you know, the, is the kappa system overused or underused? I, I was smiling the entire time that you were sharing that, that bit. I mean, it it does seem like people are looking for some sort of magic answer that, yeah, that they have to have, uh, they cannot have more than a certain number of kappas or, or what have you. And, or, or sometimes people are like, you know, may, maybe there shouldn't be a kappa. And again, if it goes back to the criteria and you really look at the intent behind kappa, again, kappa process is intended to address systemic issues and correct them if they've happened and, and certainly prevent them if they've not happened or prevent them happening again. And as far as the number, there is no number of kappas. I think, though, that a company should certainly monitor how many kappas that they have and whether they do so over the course of uh, on a monthly basis, probably better as, as a quarterly type of metric. And they should just trend what's happening and they should coordinate the sources of those as well. I mean, our are they getting a spike in customer complaints or a lot of NCMRs? And if you get to understand what those true root causes are and the sources of, of these root cause issues, then the intent behind this kappa is to be a means or a kind of a view into the health of your organization. And so I totally danced around uh, answering your question on the number of That's capitalists. okay, John. You would, you would make a good politician. <laughs> <laughs> At least on that topic. But I do, uh, you said something that's important, overuse, underuse. And, and I want to start to pull in uh, some data, recent data from the FDA. I mean, I guess, did you know, I mean, you probably knew, but listeners, did you know that year after year after year, the Kappa subsystem is responsible for more 483 observations during FDA inspections than any other subsystem uh, conducted during an, an FDA inspection. In fact, I have the 2016 data open right in front of me right now. The top number one most cited issue during 2006 fiscal year 2016 FDA inspections was CAPA. Specifically, it was lack or, of or inadequate procedures. Procedures for corrective and preventative action have not been adequately established. And this is where, when, when this is a problem. This is year after year after year. We know what the problems are going to be during FDA inspections because FDA shares the data. Hey, this is what we found last year. And guess what? It doesn't change that much, and yet the practice doesn't improve. So that was a long-winded way of getting to there's two scenarios that I see quite often, and that is the extremes. The overuse of kappa 
and the underuse of capital. And both are problems for different reasons. Overuse, you know, every little thing that you need to address, change or issue that you discover, some people want to throw that into CAPA. And, and uh, you know, I appreciate or, or applaud the, the intent for fixing things. But pretty soon, if you do that, you're going to overburden your CAPA system and you're going to have CAPAs that are, have aging problems. You know, they're, they're, they're not going to get resolved. So you didn't really do any, any service to throw it into the CAPA if it was just going to sit there as a parking lot. You don't get credit for having a certain number of CAPAs open. You get credit for correcting issues. Or simply put, it's the as I said earlier, it's the boy who cried wolf. Yeah. So exactly. it's the ubiquitous car alarm that goes off in this crowded shopping mall parking lot that nobody pays attention because it just happens too many times. Exactly. No, I was just going to say one other uh, those hum- those statistics that you shared with with us are certainly humbling, but let's just remember that FDA is dinging all of these companies only on what the regulation is requiring. And in my opinion, oftentimes the regulation does not require enough. And let me give you another example. And I know we're we're coming to the end of our time together, but this is something that I encourage all of the companies that I work with. And as far as I know, John, it is not a quality requirement. If it is, please correct me. But one of the things I see is that people don't stop and try to see the forest through the trees. In other words, you have some number of kappas that come in over the course of a quarter or a year or what have you. Oftentimes, almost all the time, at least in my experience, those kappas are looked at individually. But rarely, if ever, do I see a company on some regular basis, whether it's quarterly or yearly, sit down and look at all of the kappas and try to see, gee, are there similarities? Are there, in fact, root causes that explain multiple kappas? And so one of the things that I suggest companies put into their quality system as part of their kappa program is on some basis, uh, again, it could be monthly, it could be quarterly, it could be semi-annually or annually, it depends on a lot of things. But on some basis, the team sits down and reviews all of the kappas and tries to look for the commonalities. One of the things that I often say in my regulatory work is we always have to look for similarities where no similarities seem to exist. And there are many examples. So this this will help us, you know, as we talked about earlier, we don't do as an industry a particularly good job on the PA side. Right. I think if companies would do some of these, what I consider to be, as you said, prudent engineering or even better, common sense, if we look at our kappas collectively on some regular basis, maybe we can do a little better job of the actual PA when we get closer to that, you know, what is often referred to as the, the root cause or the root cause of the root cause and so on. So, <laughs> yeah. John, do you, do you see companies implement such practices in your experience? Uh, Mike, one of these days, we're going to find a topic that we're going to put on some gloves and, and duke it out in a debate style. But however, this is not that topic, I don't think, because, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like you. I think I see companies very myopic about it. You know, they, like you said, they can't see the forest for the trees. They, they look at each cap as this singular event and uh, as a singular issue to resolve. And no, they don't look at an overall system or all the kappas that 
the company has issued over a certain period of time to do any really sort of trending. I mean, the trending that people do when it comes to Kappas is they look at, well, how long are Kappas open? And how many Kappas do we have? And uh, do we have uh, uh, root cause? You know, what was the date that we got root cause? It's always usually, or not always, but often timeline types of trending. And, you know, that's not really getting into the, the depth and detail. And, and in my opinion, John, those those examples of things that companies trend, and you're right, I see that happen all the time, those are the least important, yeah. uh, in my opinion, maybe even totally unimportant, the things that people are focusing on, and at the same time, they're not focusing on the things that are the most important. Yeah. I, so perhaps, John, you know, we are the, we are getting to the end. Maybe we should wrap this up with a few final thoughts of takeaways from the audience. What do you think, based on uh, the many things that we've talked about today, is the most important for our audience to to take away with from? Oh, well, you know, and here I, I thought I was going to be prepared to answer this deep, insightful question. And, you know, there's so much, you know, I think Kappa, let me give two pieces of advice. Uh, first piece of advice is to that startup. You're developing a novel or that early stage company, you're developing your first device and you're in the development cycles, I assure you Kappa is not something that that you should really spend a lot of time, effort, and energy on. That's really the least of your worries. Wait until you get a product submitted to a regulatory agency and a little bit closer to market before you're really worrying about Kappa and frankly, a lot of those other post-market processes. That's the first piece of advice. For the company that's established that has products to market, chances are your Kappa process needs some tweaking. And I would say the one piece of advice that I would give you is focus on your root cause piece of your Kappa equation. And there might be other parts of that system that, that need some, some uh, evolution or revolution as well. But, but uh, chances are your root cause analysis is weak and it needs to be a little bit more thorough and a little bit more robust. Well, I think those are terrific takeaway messages from for for the audience, John. Certainly, they resonate with me individually. Just to wrap this up from my side, first of all, I welcome the invitation to participate in a debate. I think uh, that would be a lot of fun for both you and I, as well as our audience. Second of all, I'm sure, I'll mention this for our audience, that you and I will probably be doing a CAPA Part 2 where we can take a deeper dive into some of these issues. But the most important thing, the most important takeaway that I would like to, to, to leave the audience, you know, we've talked a lot about in both general as well as specific detail, you know, I shared with, with you a, a couple of actual case studies. But the most important thing is that, that quote that I shared earlier from Carl Sagan, who said that science is a way of thinking more so than it is a body of, of knowledge. I really believe, you know, my spin on Dr. Sagan's quote, they say, if you're going to steal, steal from the best. My spin on, on Dr. Sagan's quote is regulatory affairs and quality, and in this particular case, Kappa, should be much more a way of thinking than it is a body of rules and regulations. And so many people, this is not unique to Kappa, but Kappa is a good example. So many people have gotten to the point where regulatory and quality issues like this, like Kappa, for example, are nothing more than a series of checkbox on a form. And in my opinion, when people approach these in that way, they totally 
miss the intent of what it is that we're trying to do here. So I would encourage the audience to, obviously, we have to meet the regulation. I mean, nobody wants, you know, warning letters. Those That's not good for anybody's business. But more importantly, ask yourself, does what we do make sense? Is the regulation enough? You know, I, I, I think I mentioned two or three examples of best practices that I encourage companies to do that are not required. Like, for example, as we talked about at the end, the forest for the trees, sitting down on some regular basis and looking at all of your capitals collectively just to make sure that you can, you're not missing a relationship that, that you may have not seen when you look at these things individually. Only then, in my opinion, can we truly start to address the PA side of the, the whole Kappa equation. So that's sort of my takeaway message for the audience. John, I, you know, as always, I, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to, sure. to, to share this, this venue with you. And I'm more than happy to, to answer people's specific questions in the future. They can certainly get a hold of me or, or John. John, do you want to wrap this up? Yeah, sure. And, and for those that do have questions for either Mike or myself, you know, you can always go to, to greenlight.guru and contact us there. And if it's for Mike, I'll certainly forward it to him. But uh, a good way to get a hold of Mike is, frankly, it's to, to look for Mike Drews, D-R-U-E-S, do a search. He's all over the place on uh, LinkedIn. <laughs> a lot of be careful, what you, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, certainly reach out to, to us. And if, and if you're struggling with Kappa in any way, shape or form and you want somebody to talk to or maybe help you figure out some of the, the problems or the areas of improvement for your capital process or other quality management system aspects, do reach out to greenlight.guru. We'd be happy to have a conversation with you and see what we can do to help you out. Again, I want to thank Mike Drews from Vascular Sciences. And this is John Spear, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory. And this has been the Global Medical Device Podcast.